Chapter 12, Part 1 of the Commentaries on the Laws of England, Book 2, by William Blackstone. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Roy Haynes. Of Estates in Severalty, Joint Tenancy, Co-Parsonary, and Common. Part 1. We come now to treat of estates with respect to the number and connections of their owners, the tenants who occupy and hold them. And, considered in this view, estates of any quantity or length of duration, and whether they be in actual possession or expectancy, may be held in four different ways. In severalty, in joint tenancy, in coparcenary, and in common. 1. He that holds lands or tenements in severalty, or is sole tenant thereof, is he that holds them in his own right only, without any other person being joined or connected with him in point of interest, during his estate therein. This is the most common and usual way of holding an estate, and therefore we make the same observations here that we did upon estates in possession as contradistinguished from those in expectancy in the preceding chapter, that there is little or nothing peculiar to be remarked concerning it, since all estates are supposed to be of this sort unless where they are expressly declared to be otherwise, and that, in laying down general rules and doctrines, we usually apply them to such estates as are held in severalty. I shall therefore proceed to consider the other three species of estates in which there are always a plurality of tenants. 2. An estate in joint tenancy is where lands or tenements are granted to two or more persons to hold in fee simple, fee tail, for life, for years, or at will. In consequence of such grants, the estate is called an estate in joint tenancy and sometimes an estate in jointure, which word, as well as the other, signifies a union or conjunction of interest, though in common speech the term jointure is now usually confined to that joint estate which by virtue of the statute 27 Henry VIII C. 10 is frequently vested in the husband and wife before marriage as a full satisfaction and bar of the woman's dower. In unfolding this title, and the two remaining ones in the present chapter, we will first inquire how these estates may be created, next, their properties and respective incidents, and lastly, how they may be severed or destroyed. 1. The creation of an estate in joint tenancy depends on the wording of the deed or device by which the tenants claim their title. For this estate can only arise by purchase or grant, that is, by the act of the parties, and never by a mere act of law. Now, if an estate be given to a plurality of persons, without adding any restrictive, exclusive, or explanatory words, as if an estate be granted to A and B and their heirs, this makes them immediately joint tenants in fee of the lands. 
For the law interprets the grant so as to make all parts of it take effect, which can only be done by creating an equal estate in them both. As therefore the grantor has thus united their names, the law gives them a thorough union in all other respects. For 2. The properties of a joint estate are derived from its unity, which is fourfold the unity of interest, the unity of title, the unity of time, and the unity of possession. Or, in other words, joint tenants have one and the same interest, accruing by one and the same conveyance, convincing at one and the same time, and held by one and the same undivided possession. First, they must have one and the same interest. One joint tenant cannot be entitled to one period of duration or quantity of interest in the lands and the other to a different. One cannot be a tenant for life and the other for years. One cannot be tenant in fee and the other in tail. But if land be limited to A and B for their lives, this makes them joint tenants of the freehold. If to A and B and their heirs, it makes them joint tenants of the inheritance. If land be granted to A and B for their lives and to the heirs of A, here A and B are joint tenants of the freehold during their respective lives, and A has the remainder of the fee in severalty. Or, if land be given to A and B and the heirs of the body of A, here both have a joint estate for life, and A hath a several remainder in tail. Secondly, Joint tenants must also have an unity of title. Their estate must be created by one and the same act, whether legal or illegal, as by one and the same grant, or by one and the same season. Joint tenancy cannot arise by dissent or act of law, but merely by purchase or acquisition by the act of the party, and, unless that act be one and the same, the two tenants would have different titles, and if they had different titles, one might prove good and the other bad, which would absolutely destroy the jointure. Thirdly, there must also be an unity of time. Their estates must be vested at one and the same period, as well as by one and the same title. As in case of a present estate made to A and B, or remainder in fee to A and B after a particular estate. In either case, A and B are joint tenants of this present estate or this vested remainder. But if, after a lease for life, the remainder be limited to the heirs of A and B, and during the continuance of the particular estate, A dies, which vests the remainder of one moiety in his heir and then B dies, whereby the other moiety becomes vested in the heir of B. Now A's heir and B's heir are not joint tenants of this remainder, but tenants in common, or one moiety vested at one time, and the other moiety vested at another. Yet, where a fiefment was made to the use of a man, and such wife as he should afterwards marry, for term of their lives, and he afterwards married. In this case, it seems to have been held that the husband and wife had a joint estate, though vested at different times, because the use of the wife's estate was in abeyance and dormant till the intermarriage, 
and, being then awakened, had relation back and took effect from the original time of creation. Lastly, in joint tenancy, there must be an unity of possession. Joint tenants are said to be seized per maieta per tu, by the half or moiety, and by all. That is, they each of them have the entire possession, as well of every parcel as of the whole. They have not, one of them a season of one half or moiety, and the other of the other moiety. Neither can one be exclusively seized of one acre and his companion of another, but each has an undivided moiety of the whole, and not the whole of an undivided moiety. Upon these principles of a thorough and intimate union of interest and possession depend many other consequences and incidents to the joint tenants' estate. If two joint tenants let a verbal lease of their land, reserving rent to be paid to one of them, it shall inure to both in respect of the joint reversion. If their lessee surrenders his lease to one of them, it shall also inure to both because of the privity or relation of their estate. On the same reason, livery of season made to one joint tenant shall inure to both of them, and the entry or re-entry of one joint tenant is as effectual in law as if it were the act of both. In all actions also relating to their joint estate, one joint tenant cannot sue or be sued without joining the other. But if two or more joint tenants be seized of an advowson, and they present different clerks, the bishop may refuse to admit either, because neither joint tenant hath a several right of patronage, but each is seized of the whole. And if they do not both agree within six months, the right of presentation shall lapse. But the ordinary may, if he pleases, admit a clerk presented by either, for the good of the church, that divine service may be regularly performed, which is no more than he otherwise would be entitled to do in case their disagreement continued so as to incur a lapse. And if the clerk of one joint tenant be so admitted, this shall keep up the title in both of them, in respect of the privity and union of their estate. Upon same ground it is held that one joint tenant cannot have action against another for trespass in respect of his land, for each has an equal right to enter on any part of it. But one joint tenant is not capable by himself to do any act which may tend to defeat or injure the estate of the other, as to let leases or grant copyholds, and if any waste be done which tends to the destruction of the inheritance, one joint tenant may have an action of waste against the other, by construction of the statute, Westminster 2, C. 22. So, too, though at common law no action of account lay for one joint tenant against another, unless he had constituted him his bailiff or receiver, yet now, by the statute 4 and C. 16, joint tenants may have actions of account against each other, for receiving more than their due share of the profits of the tenements held in joint tenancy. From the same principle also arises the remaining grant incident of joint estates, viz. 
the doctrine of survivorship, by which, when two or more persons are seized of a joint estate of inheritance for their own lives, or pur alter vi, or are jointly possessed of any chattel interest, the entire tenancy upon the decease of any of them remains to the survivors, and at length to the last survivor and he shall be entitled to the whole estate, whatever it be, whether an inheritance or a common freehold only, or even a less estate. This is the natural and regular consequence of the union and entirety of their interest. The interest of two joint tenants is not only equal or similar, but also is one and the same. One has not originally a distinct moiety from the other, but if by any subsequent act, as by alienation or forfeiture of either, the interest becomes separate and distinct, the joint tenancy instantly ceases. But while it continues, each of the two joint tenants has a concurrent interest in the whole, and therefore, on the death of his companion, the sole interest in the whole remains to the survivor. For the interest, which the survivor originally had, is clearly not divested by the death of his companion, and no other person can now claim to have a joint estate with him, for no one can now have an interest in the whole, accruing by the same title, and taking effect at the same time with his own. Neither can anyone claim a separate interest in any part of the tenements, for that would be to deprive the survivor of the right which he has in all and every part. As, therefore, the survivor's original interest in the whole still remains, and as no one can now be admitted, either jointly or severally, to any share with him therein, it follows that his own interest must now be entire and several, and that he shall alone be entitled to the whole estate, whatever it be, that was created by the original grant. This right of survivorship is called by our ancient authors the jus accrescendi, because the right upon the death of one joint tenant accumulates and increases to the survivors, or, as they themselves express it, parsi illa communis accrescit superstibus, de persona in personam, usque adultinum superstitum, and this Usa accrescendi ought to be mutual, which I apprehend to be the reason why neither the king nor any corporation can be a joint tenant with a private person. For here is no mutuality. The private person has not even the remotest chance of being seized of the entirety by benefit of survivorship, for the king and the corporation can never die. 3. We are lastly to inquire how an estate and joint tenancy may be severed and destroyed. And this may be done by destroying any of its constituent unities. 1. That of time, which respects only the original commencement of the joint estate, cannot indeed, being now past, be affected by any subsequent transactions. But, 2. The joint tenant's estate may be destroyed without any alienation by merely disuniting their possession. For joint tenants being seized per maiette per tu, everything that tends to narrow that interest so that they shall not be seized throughout the whole 
and throughout every part is a severance or destruction of the jointure. And therefore, if two joint tenants agree to part their lands and hold them in severalty, they are no longer joint tenants, for they have now no joint interest in the whole, but only a several interest respectively in the several parts. And for that reason also, the right of survivorship is by such separation destroyed. By common law, all the joint tenants might agree to make partition of the lands, but one of them could not compel the others to do so. For, this being an estate originally created by the act and agreement of the parties, the law would not permit any one or more of them to destroy the united possession without a similar universal consent. But now, by the statutes 31 Henry VIII C1 and 32 Henry VIII C32, joint tenants, either of inheritances or other less estates, are compellable by writ of partition to divide their lands. 3. The jointure may be destroyed by destroying the unity of title. As if one joint tenant aliens and conveys his estate to a third person. Here, the joint tenancy is severed and turned into a tenancy in common, for the grantee and the remaining joint tenant hold by different titles, one derived from the original, the other from the subsequent grantor, though, till partition made, the unity of possession continues. But a devise of one's share by will is no severance of the jointure, for no testament takes effect till after the death of the testator, and by such death the right of the survivor, which accrued at the original creation of the estate and has therefore a priority to the other, is already vested. 4. It may also be destroyed by destroying the unity of interest, and therefore if there be two joint tenants for life, and the inheritance is purchased by or descends upon either, it is a severance of the jointure. Though, if an estate is originally limited to two for life, and after to the heirs of one of them, the freehold shall remain in jointure without merging in the inheritance, because, being created by one and the same conveyance, they are not separate estates, which is requisite in order to a merger, but branches of one entire estate. In like manner, if a joint tenant in fee makes a lease for life of his share, this defeats the jointure, for it destroys the unity both of title and of interest. And whenever, or by whatever means the jointure ceases or is severed, the right of survivorship, or jus accrescendi, the same instant ceases with it. Yet, if one of three joint tenants aliens his share, the two remaining tenants still hold their parts by joint tenancy and survivorship. And, if one of the three joint tenants releases his share to one of his companions, though the joint tenancy is destroyed with regard to that part, yet the two remaining parts are still held in jointure for they still preserve their original constituent unities. But when, by an act or event, different interests are created in the several parts of the estate, or they are held by different titles, or if merely the possession is separated, 
so that the tenants have no longer these four indispensable properties, the sameness of interest, an undivided possession, a title vesting at one and the same time, and by one and the same act or grant, the jointure is instantly dissolved. In general, it is advantageous for the joint tenants to dissolve the jointure, since thereby the right of survivorship is taken away, and each may transmit his own part to his own heirs. Sometimes, however, it is disadvantageous to dissolve the joint estate. As if there be joint tenants for life, and they make partition, this dissolves the jointure, and, though before they each of them had an estate in the whole for their own lives and the life of their companion, now they have an estate in a moiety only for their own lives merely, and, on the death of either, the reversioner shall enter on his moiety. And therefore, if there be two joint tenants for life, and one grants away his part for the life of his companion, it is a forfeiture. For in the first place, by the severance of the jointure, he has given himself in his own moiety only an estate for his own life, and then he grants the same land for the life of another, which grant, by a tenant for his own life merely, is a forfeiture of his estate, for it is creating an estate which may by possibility last longer than that which he is legally entitled to. End of chapter 12, part 1.